Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we celebrate Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am somehow still here as your host, Ed Pocock, and today we are delighted to be joined by the CEO and co-founder of Team Covenant, Zach Burns. Zach, welcome to the pod. Ed, thank you so much for having me on. I'm a huge fan of the show. I think you're your overall vibe and what you're what you're doing with your content is just uh, wonderful, and I always enjoy uh, when I catch an episode. So, uh, cheers to you for creating a, a great show, and thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. That means a lot. That really does. Today, we are going to explore how Keyforge as a unique deck game entwines with the evolving role of the local game store. We're going to look at how Team Covenant's approach really does contrast with some of the traditional elements of that local game store model. And we're going to ask how some of the unique challenges presented by Keyforge affects local game stores and maybe how those stores can then go ahead and secure future success with Keyforge and other similar next generation unique games. But first of all, we always like to go ahead and ask our guests a few questions about themselves and get to know them a bit better. So Zach, give us a bit of background on how you first got into games and what point you decided to start Team Covenant. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, honestly, looking back, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't play games. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, maybe four or five, we would stay with my aunts and uncles at various times. And pretty much all of them, uh, you know, gaming in some way was was a part of that. From Monopoly and Sorry to pick up sticks and a, a family favorite of ours is a, a 2v2 card game called Pitch. I don't know if you've ever played. but I don't think I have, no. It's, it's a fun little, I mean, it's just something, I mean, when I was like six or seven, you're on a team. So me and my little brother were on a team uh, playing against my grandma, my great grandma, you know, kind of just to showcase the kind of game it is. It's like we, we were six and four. My great grandma was 90. My grandma was, you know, 55. So it's just a, it's a, it's a fun little card game with like a standard set of playing cards, but um, awesome. It's a, it's a family game, but then really what took it into kind of, you know, hyperdrive is uh, when I was a kid, a, a little phenomenon called Pokemon started and uh, my brother and I, my little brother have been playing the hand, you know, the Game Boy game, uh, Pokemon red and blue. And then the card game came out. So the, the Christmas that came out, my mom uh, bought us starters and some booster packs and stuff. Uh, and really from that moment on, it was kind of just over, uh, became obsessed with, uh, you know, Pokemon, the card game and, and deck building and playing and collecting and whatnot. Um, and that would lead to a bunch of other games, but uh, I, I'm from a really small town in Oklahoma called Chelsea. Um, only a couple thousand people live there. And at the time, my uncle had a movie rental business in this little small town and in the back of that, like the back half of it was just kind of empty. Um, so as yeah. I started playing Pokemon, we didn't really have a game store. Um, we're a very small town. This is in the, you know, the nineties when tabletop wasn't nearly what it is today. And so, you know, I asked him if I could host meetups for Pokemon there. Um, and he, he said, yeah. So I scrounged around from various family members and friends and got old dining room tables and dining room chairs and whatnot, and some, hung up some, some, you know, Pokemon posters and cards in the back and whatever. Yeah. Um, and just kind of started, you know, we had a Saturday meetup once a week. And even in that small little town, right, pretty quickly, we had 5, 10, 15, 20 people coming to these Pokemon meetups. Um, and then that kind of throughout my, you know, uh, I guess childhood up, up through 18 or 19, um, I kept ho hosting these, these things in the back of my uncle's uh, movie rental store. And when we were teenagers, we got into a game and uh, started the bigger city that's close to us. is called Tulsa, which is where we're based now. 
Um, so once we could drive, a couple of friends and I would come up to Tulsa every couple of weeks and play in tournaments for the Star Wars TCG. Um, and, you know, that kind of carried through. I ended up going to college in, in Tulsa and whatnot. But ultimately, you know, you asked about uh, when, when did Covenant uh, start? Uh, and that was during my freshman year of college. So, like I said, I'd grown up playing games and played Pokemon and then all, you know, yeah. all various kinds of card games throughout time. And ultimately, you know, for, for us, tabletop was this, like, we didn't really even have the like local game store lens. It was just a super meaningful and important thing that we did that ultimately like, you know, helped me find and become friends with my best friends today and create so many of, you know, my, my favorite and most meaningful memories throughout my life. So when I was in college though, I had some experiences with some of the local stores in the area and uh, even online that really just kind of crystallized for me. Um, you know, I saw tabletop as this like incredibly meaningful and powerful tool for connecting with people and, you know, enjoying, uh, being a human. And it seemed like no Absolutely. one, no one else really treated it that way. Um, none of the other stores, you know, mm. to them, it kind of just felt like a, another product to fling and, um, the online websites, you know, I ordered some stuff from them and they sent me the wrong stuff and I emailed them and this is the earlier days of the internet, but they, their, their customer service wasn't great. And they just didn't really seem like they cared about the game. They didn't know literally the product I bought from them. They didn't know that much about and then they also didn't really you know, care too much for the customer relationship that was going on. So amidst all this, like almost lack of care uh, is really where, where I started Covenant. I, w I was learning how to program and I was learning about business. And um, I just thought that something as important as tabletop could be done a whole lot better. Um, and that's, that's ultimately yeah. the, the beginning of Covenant. And if we flash forward a bit to today, tell us a bit about what, what does Team Covenant look like today and what, maybe what can people expect from you? So, I mean, that was uh, when I started Covenant in my dorm room. That was back in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been a little over 13 years now. Um, and yeah. we've grown okay. and evolved and changed. But I think at our, our nucleus still is that, you know, we believe Tabletop is uh, an un, unbelievably incredible and really unparalleled uh, tool for creating social interaction and human connection. And, you know, for us, it's how we find our, our best friends and our favorite memories. Um, and so pretty much everything we do has that at, at its heart, uh, which is, uh, we love tabletop, we respect it. And, uh, we do a whole bunch of, of various things at this point. So we have a, a local store in Tulsa, uh, which you can come visit. It's called, we call it Covenant Tulsa. Um, and you know, the Covenant Tulsa experience is very focused on uh, being a place where people are comfortable to come and, and share and play in tabletop. And then we have a handful of services that we do online. So we create a lot of content, uh, a lot of videos we do. Currently, we do a weekly live stream on Mondays and a weekly podcast on Fridays. Um, and we do various videos beyond that. But a lot of our content is centered on, uh, you know, basically showing off these games and, and having fun playing them and showing, uh, yeah. you know, how to play them, how to learn them. And ultimately, you know, for us, the tabletop experience goes beyond just how to play a game. Um, because you have to buy it, you have to find other players, you have to play it somewhere and there's, there's so much to it. But, um, so we, we do a lot of content, uh, and then we also have a subscription service where for games that we, you know, include in this service, you can sign up, um, and we'll automatically send you everything for that game as it comes out. You don't have to keep up with the release schedules or, you know, place pre-orders or any of that kind of stuff. You just sign up, we'll charge you a week or two before something comes out almost in the U S at least almost everything shows up on release and you're off to the races. Uh, and then we also have, uh, we do a lot of custom components. So this is like tokens and boards that are compatible with these games. And, and your tokens for Keyforge are absolutely glorious. It has to be said. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Very envious of some of my other fellow Keyforge friends that, uh, are very, very happy with their team covenant tokens. I think with our tokens, we are trying to be mindful of these are not something we want that are so flashy that it takes away from the game itself, right? Or the, the, the experience of playing the game. Um, yeah. So oftentimes they try to be thematic without being overly, you know, in your face about it. Um, and then also, again, trying to make it as uh, basically to pull you into that experience as much as, as much as we can. With, and I think the components you use while you're playing can actually aid in that quite a bit and, and really bring you into 
uh, just create a different vibe and feeling around actually playing the game. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I feel like I'm missing something, <laughs> but I don't think so. So, you know, we, we sell stuff online, like typical, we have an online store and a local store and then subscriptions and components, um, kind of, kind of rounded out. Yeah. And I, at this point, Zach, I really do have to say thank you because I honestly think it's Team Covenant that got me into a lot of the card games I'm playing now. The content that you guys make is really well thought through uh, and really accessible to everyone. And for that reason, I often, when I have a, a new player, maybe I, I direct them to to your Keyforge Learn to Play videos because I think they're the best example of a Learn to Play video in that respect. And for anyone, any of our listeners that haven't come across Team Covenant and had a look at what they're doing, I certainly recommend that you do so and in particular the brilliant covenant cast your weekly podcast which covers a lot more the business side of the tabletop industry and takes i think it's fair to say an optimistic view about the future and the way that things can change for the better in tabletop well that's certainly uh, one thank you for your thanks I, I appreciate that uh glad that it's been helpful for you and hopefully other people that are listening and then, you know, on, on the other side of things, like, uh, you know, we do, we are optimistic and we're hopeful and, uh, you know, our, our greatest aspiration is, uh, being in a position to, you know, help tabletop evolve and, and grow in directions that are healthy and, and, and great for the industry and this is, you know, the long-term uh, outlook for the entire space. So, uh, that's definitely something we're mindful of. Awesome. And, Zach, you've played a lot of card games in the past, but what were your first thoughts about Keyforge? Was it a kind of love at first sight relationship or has it maybe developed over time? Uh, I mean, so on the on the nose, right, we were at the uh, in-flight report at Gen Con when they announced Keyforge. And so yeah. the, the big, before you even get to playing the game, right, there was so much of a conversation around just how this game is distributed. Uh, be, beyond the actual gameplay. Yeah. So the initial, you know, handful of days of conversation were certainly, and especially right after they announced it, were very centered on that element of Keyforge. And then, of course, the game's designed by Richard Garfield, who obviously did Magic the Gathering. And then, you know, two of my favorite games of all time are the Netrunner uh, system. So that was a CCG back in the 90s and then in the 2000s was re-released as an LCG through Fantasy Flight Games. Um, and then the Star Wars PCG is a game I played during my teenage years. That's actually one that Steven and I got into. That was our first like super, like we competed at this game kind of a game. Um, and he designed both of those. So he's yeah. uh, he's an incredible designer. And so when they announced this kind of very unique concept designed by him, um, the concern wasn't really the gameplay. But then once we actually sat down for a demo, and played the game, uh, and then they gave everyone at that uh, that keynote uh, two decks. So we got back to the That's hotel room. Great. Yeah, it was awesome. We get back to the hotel room, right? We open a couple decks and we start playing, and we we played with the same two decks for for a little bit uh, before we even cracked into the rest. And so it was That's definitely like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was certainly a um, you know some games come out, and uh, I've I've been around for the release of quite a few games at this point, but. And they just hook you. Um, and, and this was definitely one of those games where, you know, we're tired. We've had a long day of like filming and streaming and recording content and talking to people and whatnot. And we get back to the hotel room and everyone's kind of interested in playing more Keyforge, um, which is a really good sign. Uh, but it's just, you know, Keyforge is so unique, literally. I mean, it's a great name for the system yeah. in this game that like there was so much to talk about, right? Both how the game's going to work. And then we're looking at the decks and we're laying out, you know, one of the first decks we open and like asking how we think it should be played after we know what's going on. And then we open the rest of the other decks and you start seeing all these new cards that you've never seen before. So uh, pretty much from the moment it got announced. Um, and, you know, it, I think we have a, a interesting perspective on it too, because like yeah. we are uh, a, just the way we are looking at the industry um, and one of the big things we always felt or we felt for a long time was basically these card games are incredible. These communities that develop around these games are incredible. But like from even an LCG, which was by far the lowest cost of entry we had seen in a card game, uh, you know, because collectible games are just way more expensive. Uh, there just are so many barriers for someone that's never played a game like this to play um, mm, that, that yeah. Keyforge was just directly answering, right? 
you get to buy yeah. one deck and you're in it's 10 bucks and you're in you don't have to build anything it's interesting it's unique you're going to see cards you haven't seen it's got a unique name it's just got such a cool vibe so pretty much yeah. from the moment they announced that we were like this is going to be awesome yeah the, i mean the number of people that i play keyforge with that have never and would never touch a deck building game is uh is quite large and they enjoy it they they enjoy the core principles of it and a lot of them have dug deeper and and bought things for themselves with it, it there's a lot of there's a lot to like in keyforge i think and um i suppose that's why we've got a podcast about it but the other thing that you just said that really uh, struck a chord with me was you said there's a lot to talk about with keyforge and a lot of my friends that don't play keyforge that maybe maybe play different games but have never touched keyforge before say to me how can you have a podcast about one game how can you have enough to talk about and i think oh we've got more <laughs> than enough to talk about yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think that's that's part of what's so ingenious about your format which i love which is you can almost always bet anybody you would talk to uh that plays keyforge has a handful of decks that they're very fond of for various reasons and yeah. like, you can talk about, we, we, we've, we've done that on our streams back when the game was coming out. It's like, we'd put a deck down and like, that's a 20, 30 minute discussion about pretty much every deck. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's unique and it's got stuff going on. And the more you play it, the more you realize how nuanced the each deck actually can be. Um, so it's, it's a, I don't know. It's a quite a, I hate to keep saying it, but it really is just such a unique kind of game. Um, that, <laughs> It, the well runs deep i'll say that much it certainly does and especially with worlds collide that depth of uh what you learn about a deck and when you play it and how you play it it's it's deepened even further i i believe because of the complexity of some of those card interactions sure i think worlds collide was uh and i don't know how you feel about it but i, I thought it was a is an incredible set um i'm having a ton of fun with this set I completely agree. It's it's definitely my favorite set yet. And I think that bodes well for the future of Keyforge as a game and, well, probably the, the wider Keyforge universe. You mentioned the memorable moments in Keyforge. So, Zach, what is the most memorable moment that you've had so far with Keyforge? That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> We'd like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of, of really good moments, but you know, I think, um, my, like uh, moments that stick out to me. Um, I, the first deck that I opened was named Walker, the defender of Jim wall. And wow. I, I still, I still have that deck to this day. Um, but it, it was kind of just a, you know, a perfect storm because when I look at the list now, it, it's uh, um, Sanctum and Untamed and Dis, which are three of my favorite houses from that first set called the Archon. And yeah. it has a lot of the cards that I really love, but it's not, it's not so, you know, like the, the like really highly rated decks are, have a lot of the really good cards that work together well. And so like, it was more like a, a who's who of Keyforge for me. Which is like, yeah. you know, there's there's one control of the week, um, but there's not two or three with ways to recur it. Um, there's one hunting witch, but there's not, you know, ways to like just go crazy with it necessarily. Um, there was a bear flute and an ancient bear, um, mm -hmm. which I, I don't know why. I've just always been, I just have loved that card and concept since I opened this first deck. But that first time opening a deck and shuffling it up, not even looking at it, right? And then drawing yeah. my six cards. And every card being something I didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you carry that forward and it creates my favorite moments in, in Keyforge in general, which is my, my absolute hands down favorite way to play Keyforge is sealed. Uh, we have our league night in Tulsa on Tuesday nights. And it's basically every, every other week is sealed. And every other week besides that is Archon where you choose the deck you bring. Um, and like I, the sealed events to me are just the, the peak because you know, it because of the way Keyforge is, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think in some ways, because the decks are set for you, you might think that there's less, uh, you know, depth to this game. Whereas I, I actually find it's the complete opposite. In deck building games, the way the competitive environment works and the way, the way meta evolves, um, it, it seems like you actually end up with uh, a, a much tighter range of acceptable cards and like expected decks to face. 
And so in this, uh, you know, so when that happens and you're going to tournaments and stuff, you kind of need to know all the cards because any any options and options. But in Keyforge, I actually still have not seen all of the cards. Like I, I, I still go to field open and I will find cards I have never seen before. Um, because you know, my, my general approach is I have a one display through a subscription. So I get that. And then the, the weekend a set comes out, there's a bunch of people hanging around playing. So I usually end up with about 20, 25 decks from a set, um, between my subscription and then sealed that first weekend. Um, but yeah. you know, if you open 20, 25 decks, you don't see all the cards, like not right. even, not even close, especially some of the rare cards. Like, uh, so then now every time I go to a field, it's like, I'm, I'm seeing rare cards I haven't seen before. And then I'll be playing against some of the, you know, the players that are like a little more serious around here. And I'll be like, ah, oh, this is a cool new rare. And they're like, that's from a, a set ago. Well, that's two sets ago. Like that, that was from the first set. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that speaks to one of the best parts of Keyforge, which is uh, this, they really do deliver on this discovery element. And it's a good call on your, your side to name your podcast as such and to explore the discovery element. Um, but it kind of gives you a frame where it allows for you to have like, pace your discovery however you want. So there's going to be people that go look at the spoilers and see all the cards. Um, mm. But like, I just value so highly that ex- that first experience where I opened the deck and it was just like a whole new world um, that I don't want to do anything to take away from that. And so I, I just love opening new decks and sealed, honestly. I, I can completely agree with that. Certainly on the side of you never forget your first deck. I remember my first deck had two gray monks and that's the card that allows you to bolster the rest of your lineup when you have it. And I absolutely loved it. I thought, you know, <laughs> this is a unique deck to me. It's got two of this card and it's really fun. And yeah, you really do never forget that first one. Uh, but, you know, f- flashing forward to now, I also completely get what you mean about the discovery side you know i mean that's why we've got a podcast about it and um, the discovery side of i always find something new when i play keyforge and i think however much i i, can, I i'm not someone that pours over the card pool purposefully this set discovering the anomalies as i find them so i haven't looked at any spoilers about them i've seen a few of the anomalies but there are still anomalies out there that i have not yet seen and that makes me very excited to play my next sealed match because i will be discovering these things by either playing them or playing against them completely i love that and that that reminds me you know when i I, and this is probably you know a bit of nostalgia speaking but uh, when I was a kid playing Pokemon, particularly, it was like uh, just right before the internet started becoming like just everyone has it kind of a thing. Yeah. And so like, you know, a new set would come out and we would know a couple of cards because we saw them in like a trade magazine or, you know, we, we heard about them somewhere, someone talking about them at some store. Um, but like this like age, you know, by 2010, uh, a lot of times when a new set's coming out, all the cards are just available online for these games. Yeah. Um, and so being able to kind of recapture that, like, you know, cause I, I ran into, um, the Grim Reaper for the first time, uh, at a state yeah. event and they played Grim Reaper and I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, Such a which reminds me of, yeah, a hundred percent, which it just reminds me of hitting those like rare cards that you just never seen before. Um, which is, is super fun. I think it's a way of Keyforge being in the internet age and having the whole card pool out there and spoiled, but at the same time, saving something back to, to enable people to capture that, that element of surprise and discovery with a new set and with the cards, which is, yeah, and I think a nice balance probably. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the other element of the discovery of the decks is fun. It's like, okay, maybe you've seen all the cards, but you, you certainly haven't seen, you know, you, basically every time I play, especially in a sealed, it's like I discover interactions with cards I never thought about Um, because the game isn't really asking you to think about what happens when you get these cards together. Right. But it's, I'll have some, you know, a creature on the table from, uh, you know, a star Alliance and then I'll, I'll call this and under very quickly. It's like, Oh, wait a second. Like this is definitely an interaction I never even considered until just this moment, which is like, there's just this, whatever's going on is going on. Right. Um, so I think that that's where like both in the initial phase and even as you are playing a deck, there's just so much discovery built in. Uh, it's, it's quite spectacular. 
And it's amazing to think that there are card interactions that are possible in the card pool at the moment that haven't ever and maybe won't ever be printed because of just the way that the unique deck game algorithm works. Totally. So, Zach, do you have a favorite Keyforge house? That's a good question. I, you didn't prep me for that one. Um, I'm kind of in the like, uh, you know, honeymoon phase with the Saurians right now. I don't know why. Like as a, as a kid, I loved dinosaurs. Like I think most kids, but I also have always been kind of fascinated with like Roman culture. Um, yeah, yeah. Just I think the first time, literally, I heard about the idea of the Colosseum, particularly when I found out they like filled it with water and put boats in there. I just couldn't like it, something was just unbelievably fascinating about that to me. So, uh, when, and never in my, you know, if you've gone back a year and you've been like, Hey, what would you like to see with the Roman culture in a game that would make you really excited? I never would have said dinosaurs, right? Like that, that never would have happened. (laughs) Um, but then when they, as soon as they said it, Gen Con, I think it was, they were like, ah, one of the factions is Roman dinosaurs. It was just like, I threw my hands up and I was like, Oh my goodness, how has no one ever done this? This is a genius idea it's it's so random but it makes so much sense and it just the fact works that it exists I, is so keyforge <laughs> yeah it's 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 it, i don't know it's really impressive um yeah so i really i really like that house but there's also um i think the either close second or maybe overall once we you know get 10 years down the road i really like untamed just it's very bright and colorful and there's all these different creatures and it's creatures in ways you've never seen um, and you also have the witches and some elements of magic and that kind of a thing. So um, I just think Untamed is a very unique take on, uh, you know, because Roman dinosaurs plays out a certain way. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. And I haven't ever really seen that before. But Untamed really feels like something completely otherworldly to me. Um, you know, like you could it's show up. It's got a somebody. clear identity, but they could take it in so many different ways. Totally. Um, and it, it just feels com- really totally unique. Um so I'm um, I'm pretty uh, just every time I get a deck with Untamed, I'm I'm always pretty happy with it. Is there a feature of a feature that you'd like to see in the future of Keyforge? This could be a mechanic or a play style or a card, maybe something from a previous game that you've loved there that you think would work really well in Keyforge. That's a that's a really good question. The thing about Keyforge is like the structure of how the game functions is very different than a lot of the games I've played. Right, you don't build resources in the same kind of way, uh, which I'm I, I totally love. So I think the, uh, the the mechanic which we'll talk about I think on the next episode when we talk about the uh, deck I chose to to highlight the idea of of cards that uh, change or evolve or grow over time in inside of a game. Is something I really, well, for whatever reason, thematically just think is amazing. So um, I think that's pretty cool. But I'm, I'm trying to think of something I really like from another game that uh, would work here. And, you know, games that are coming to mind for me are like Star Wars Destiny and the Star Wars TCG and Netrunner. Um, but, like, those are all functionally just such different games. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what I would bring over from there. But I... I do like the, like if I, if I were scanning through some of my favorite games and asking like, what do I love about this that we could actually port? Uh, that's actually quite interesting. So uh, I'm not sure it works or it would hold up or it'd be fair or anything, but in Game of Thrones, the, the card game, there's a shadow mechanic uh, where you basically put a, a, you know, a character face down and you can pay a certain amount uh, to bring them out. Um, during the turn. So I think it could be pretty cool if you have like an ambush style mechanic where, you know, you put, you put a creature or a card face down and it's got a a cost associated with it where, you know, to bring this out, maybe you have to like lose that much Amber or destroy that many creatures or discard that many cards. Um, But it's like this element of surprise and there's particular moments where you could maybe bring it out. So, you know, as an example, let's say uh, one of the reactions is like, you can bring this out anytime an enemy attacks. And it's like, ah. you know, they get ambushed and now this is the thing they're attacking or uh, you attack it first or I, I don't know, something, something along those lines, but like yeah. uh, some kind of like stealthy mechanic like that where, you know, I have a card face down here um, and maybe I have to put it in my battle line even. I, I don't know. Yeah. 
that you you could lose an amber and play it or something something interesting like that yeah and like even picturing yeah. if you if you played a creature face down in your battle line it's like well i don't know what that is but i know various creatures that it could be just based on the only only the ones because in thrones you always knew like what characters were shadow characters so you had a, a frame of reference potentially but that could be that could be something that's interesting where you have uh, hidden information basically and there is a the Keyforge currently plays around with a little bit of that. There's a card called Jar Goggle. When it's destroyed, you play the card that's been placed under it. And oh, there's right. another Shadows artifact, which I've temporarily forgotten what it's called, and um, that has a trigger effect, and you play a, a hidden card underneath that one as well. But you're right, there's much more that they could do with this and expand it out to give players a bit more control with maybe a risk-reward mechanic um, over, over doing that. And I think it would create some very interesting interactions indeed. Sure. So one more question before we dive straight into our main topic. Zach, anyone that follows your Team Covenant content and indeed your your Twitter account will know that you are a keen Star Wars fan. <laughs> and I must say at this point, I'm sorry about the loss of Star Wars Destiny. But I have to say, if Keyforge could have a little bit of its own Star Wars universe, which Star Wars character do you think would fit best into a Keyforge house? That's a that's a great question. I, I'm impressed with the uh, level of integration out there. I appreciate your condolences. Destiny was an incredible game with a great community. So that's that's always rough and, and sad to see happen to a game when it goes away. Yeah. Um, but I think you know Star Wars to me has uh, an unbelievably diverse set of um, cultures and uh, that, that could easily I think work. I mean, I, it would be kind of cool to picture a unique deck game based in Star Wars, honestly, but. Um, I think the two best examples for me are like all the creatures. I, I mean, you could bring any of those creatures, the Rancors and the Crate Dragons and all that stuff um, into their own kind of Star Wars vibe and house. Um, and then, you know, I, I, have you been watching the uh, Mandalorian series on Disney Plus? I'm afraid not. Disney Plus has not yet been released in the UK. So, Oh, that's yeah. I remember hearing about that. That's crazy. I don't know why that's the case, but that blows my mind. And of course, we would never ever pirate TV because yeah, that's of course, not cool or at least, kids. That's at illegal. Least we wouldn't we wouldn't uh, publicly admit to it. Um, so <laughs> you know, there, effectively, I don't know if you've seen the Clone Wars or anything, but there's a Mandalorian culture there as well. Um, so they're a very strong culture that's being featured in the Mandalorian, of course, and then in the, in the yeah. Clone Wars and Rebels show. So I can easily see, you know, I mean that that they could be their own house where it's just a very strong, but there, there's a ton of those, right? Like there's a bunch of cultures in Star Wars. So they have almost as many, you know, they, if they did each culture as its own house um, and each, you know, there's factions too and whatnot, but um, they, they probably have 40 or 50 different potential houses they could use from Star Wars. So I never actually crossed really those in my brain, but now that you ask the question, that's really fascinating. Hmm. And that would help them to move away from the traditional Rebel Alliance versus the Imperial. I, I mean, I forget, I'm not a big Star Wars person, but the idea of really exploring the breadth and depth of the universe would be would be interesting. Um, yeah, a Star Wars Keyforge mashup. Woo! It, it would be interesting, for sure. I mean, I, I would definitely um, at least buy a couple thousand displays of that. Just kidding. I would buy, I'd buy a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> just just kidding it would be more yeah 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 for anyone that knows me uh yes there's a lot of star wars in my life so i i wouldn't be surprised but that would be cool i mean i think it's a cool way to distribute a game and there's a lot of ways mm. to pair those factions and cultures together in a very non-traditional way which is cool and, and let's dive into now the unique deck game and and I suppose the role of the local game store, which is something that I know yourself and your co-founder Stephen talk a lot about on the Covenant cast. And sure. it's certainly something that really does make the listener think about tabletop gaming industry and the roles of different parts of, of the industry and where things go right and maybe why things go wrong when they go wrong. So. Sure. How has the local game store changed over the past decade? And what do you think they'll need to do to survive and maybe even thrive in the next? So, you know, since I was a teenager driving up to Tulsa to play, um, play in various tournaments, 
I think the industry as a whole has evolved a lot. Um, board games came a long way. Card games have come a long way. Um, and, I mean, all, all the categories of games, honestly, RPGs and miniatures as well, have come a, just a tremendous way. And I think the quality of game being served is um, unbelievably high. And I think on top of that, because of both Kickstarter and just you know the internet and easier access to, to everything, um, the number of games coming out every year is significantly higher than it was a decade ago. And I think the whole industry, from publishing all the way down to retail and the players themselves, um, are are grappling with the effects of what it means when we have way more games coming out by way more publishers at a way higher quality level. But there's also yeah. a lot more people in the industry. Because, um, you know, when in the early 2000s, it was still, I think, very, very niche. Um, and, you, you know, not everyone just knew about tabletop games. So board games have really kind of, I think, gone mainstream in a lot of ways. It was a monopoly. <laughs> yeah, but be, beyond, you know, Monopoly and Sorry and Clue and that kind of game. Um, I think modern board games are really kind of center stage. So, you know, the game stores, uh, there's there's a handful of different primary, like I would say, categories. Um, there's kind of the traditional 1990s vibe of like, we have a lot of products and we have a lot of shelves and we're essentially just purely retail store. And then... Uh, you know, from there, the need, thanks to Magic the Gathering, honestly, up front and all the games that will follow it, uh, the need for actual space to play these games in these stores uh, started existing. So a lot of stores started adding tables and chairs and play space and more and more of their space was, was play space. And then as more and more games came out, their shelves, they had less shelf space because of the play space. And now they have too many yeah. games. So there's even less shelf space. Um so I think uh, beyond that, uh, the retail store is having to adjust to all those factors. And then the internet is kind of a big deal that happens. Um, they, they really changed, you know, uh, in 2002, there really weren't that many places you could buy games online. So another big part of the local game store was just the fact that they had tabletop games in the first place. Yeah. So now uh, we're kind of in an environment where you can order games directly from a publisher. You can order them online from places like us. Mm. You can order them online from places like Amazon. You can back them on places like Kickstarter. Um, and I think the, the most retail stores are basically figuring out and finding places um, to add value and, and be useful to both customers and publishers uh, in new, new ways. Um, I think that's why we see things like the game cafe model and, you know, the, it's basically the tabletop game store plus either, restaurant or coffee shop or bar or pub um, kind of vibes um, because ultimately they're they're kind of adjusting and figuring out that being a place where people want to play games uh, is is a useful thing that can definitely uh, be in position to take in the market so uh, I think it's definitely the most diverse that stores have ever been right now uh, in terms of the you know, if you go into a store, there's very, very different kinds of, of stores to happen. Even something I'm picturing like yeah. the GW, GW stores, you're in, you're in the UK, so you're probably very familiar. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. One of the most high performing stores on the high street, actually, out of, out of interest, our, our high streets are really struggling under the weight of internet shopping. We're probably one of the most digitally active cultures in that in that regard, and the high street's suffering. But the one store that is thriving is Games Workshop, and they've been one of, I think, the highest performing stocks on the, the second tier UK market for a number of years now. Yeah, they, they, and they have an incredible story as well. We actually did an episode of the podcast, a, I think a, roughly a year ago about them because they had just a, an amazing turnaround over the past four or five years. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think uh, it's definitely uh, in metamorphosis, though. I, I don't think retail has quite figured out uh, who they are or what they're trying to be to the, to the market. And I, I don't think the, the structure of the industry is, you know, it, it's very much built on, uh, kind of where the industry was 15, 20 years ago, and just in the way it works mm. and the way it operates. And so uh, it's, a, it's a pretty exciting time, honestly, to be a part of tabletop because there is so much change. But it's definitely not, um, you know, if I was talking about how retail stores have changed, I think the main thing that's changed is that there's a number of different ways people are approaching retail, which they weren't really doing a decade ago, right? Um, when we first opened our yeah. store, uh there was a lot less diversity. So there's, there's more stores. They're different. They're offering different value. They're focusing on different segments of the market because the segments are getting big enough 
that you can have a miniature game store and you can have a card game store and you can have a magic store. I mean, in the you know early nineties yeah. before magic, a lot of game game stores were part game store, part comic shop, uh, part just specialty entertainment stuff. And now it's like, I know I've been to plenty of stores where it's basically like they have some board games, but they're basically a magic store. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a few of those in London as well. Yep. So there's just a wide range of, of options, which is cool. I mean, I, I think diversity in, in general as a concept, right, is like very, uh, very healthy for Completely. A, an industry like, like this. So uh, I'm excited to see where everyone decides to take the various retail uh, stores over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, and that with you know with that diversity, the the ones that work will win out, and the ones that maybe don't work so well won't, and that's that's exciting. And I think you guys have mentioned on the Covenant Cast before that with some of the industries inefficiencies in the distribution channels the way they are, that creates an opportunity for the future, and the people that come ahead and take that opportunity are going to do very nicely out of it. So it's an interesting time. Absolutely. And so for, for Keyforge specifically, what opportunities and challenges does a unique deck game and the first of its kind really present the local game store? And maybe is it different to other games in that regard from a LGS perspective or is it fairly similar? I think uh, Keyforge has uh, a lot of unique strengths, honestly, uh, especially in a local environment. So the reality of... Um, you know, I, I think there's two primary styles of game, right? I, th- I think there's board games that release and they're in a box and it's kind of a one-time thing and you buy it and you have everything you need to play. And then there's the kind of games that I gravitate towards, which are these uh, games that have ongoing expansions and they typically have communities that kind of surround them and people yeah. go real, real deep into these games. And so obviously Keyforge fits into that, but it fits into it in a different kind of way. Um, the the reality of you know five years from now you could walk into a store there could be 10 people hanging out playing keyforge and you literally can jump in for for ten dollars is an incredible strength of keyforge in that you yeah. don't need to go back and buy a bunch of old sets and you don't need to you know because like uh lcgs commonly would get to a point where it's like hey you have to buy these 38 packs and you're going to need two cards from this pack and one like you have to learn how to play and then you have to open all this and organize it and then you need to go build a deck um and there's so many challenges there whereas you know we've seen so often someone walks in like ah you know i'm interested in checking out a game we have people in the store hanging out playing keyforge and it's like hey you can play this game with them it's like 10 bucks for a deck um and it's very clear that you know if i had if we'd had to tell them instead hey you're going to need to buy a couple of core sets and a couple of these expansions <laughs> and 10 of these things and this, and then you open it all. And then after you get to this yeah. certain stage, you can learn how to play. Whereas Keyforge, right? You open it and you're playing. I mean, almost immediately. Just 500 bucks. You, yeah. Just, just $500 and you're in. Um, and miniature games struggle from the same thing, right? Uh, because yeah. like beyond the actual miniatures, this is something I've been getting into more of the past year is like all the various equipment and tools and like, products you need to, to really do miniatures correctly. And then you have to learn how to do it. Luckily we have some really great people around our area that are, are very mm. helpful in that regard. But like, there's just a lot of challenges to that. So, um, I think that's, it's that's a skill, a, isn't it? The painting it, and then the playing and all very different things as well. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, key for is it, the way you approach this game is just so unique and so strong. And I, I think that's very good for a local store. Um, mm. but at the same time, you know, I think the downside is that it's a kind of game that would appeal strongly to card gamers, but at the same time, card gamers have, uh, become accustomed to choosing the cards in the deck. I know I have a couple friends that now play Keyforge, but the first couple of months <laughs> were very hesitant because it's like, I don't know that I just want to buy random decks and like have no say over what's in them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard people say that in the past as well. And I think a lot of them have come around to Keyforge, particularly with that introduction of Worlds Collide not being quite as simple as Call of the Archons. Um, but the, the deck building side of things in Keyforge just is very, very different. And it's a very, very different type of game. So yeah, I, I suppose that does take time. You mentioned a couple of months ago, actually on your podcast, 
that there was a moment where you as a business were wary about the future of Keyforge, whether it would survive in the long run. But then with the announcement of Worlds Collide, you now feel that, and you've echoed this on the podcast today a few times, that it could survive for the next decade or maybe even longer. At what point do you think it really pivoted so substantially? So the first year or two of a game is just a really critical uh, moment in a in a game's history for these expandable style games, right? Because you effectively part of what makes a game like Keyforge so engaging and interesting is the fact that you know, assuming you have a local group that's playing this meeting somewhere, you can show up and not only are you exploring your decks, but you have a fresh you know uh, series of decks and opponents to play against uh, every week. So that keeps yeah. it really really interesting and exciting. And so for these kind of community based games. Um, making it to that kind of like stabilization point for a game where you have a solid community of people um, is really kind of the like spark that you need to keep the fire going. Um, so with, you know, in, in general with set two, uh, it very much felt like the initial excitement from the first set and the concept of unique deck game and whatnot was like wearing, wearing off. And the second set itself was, to me, honestly, way more balanced than the first set. So, like, I always, I, I describe it as, like, my my decks from the first set on a scale of 1 to 10, um, you know, could rank anywhere from a negative 3 to an 18 is how I felt about it. Uh, so, like, it's a 10 scale, but some of my, my original decks are just, like, crazy, like, beyond <laughs> beyond the scale right whereas i feel yeah. like age of yeah. ascension did a really great job of pretty much every deck i opened was somewhere between a six and an eight um yeah. but the problem is when the first set gave me 12s and 13s and 15s and 18s um even the eights from age of ascension don't really feel that like uh, special or unique no. or interesting um and so I, I think it was just kind of an unfortunate there were no new houses uh, the initial excitement was wearing off, and while the, the set seemed way better designed, it was actually almost to its detriment because it was less exciting. Um, yep. And, yep. you know, they're, they've announced that they're doing sets every May and November, so um, that's a six-month window between releases, which is a long time. Um, for yeah. a t- typical expandable-style game, LCGs are monthly, collectible games are usually every three to four months, um, and so six months is a pretty, pretty long window. So it, they... Yeah have this long window, they have a set that is ultimately less exciting. And, you know, uh, really the, even the organized play at the time is not bad. They have the vault tours, they have the chain down local events going on. Uh, but it was kind of a lull, right? And so that six month to 12 month window for most games is hypercritical. Like if you can maintain interest in players through that, you kind of probably, they're going to stick around and you're going to have a really sizable, like just install base of people. Um, and so during that phase, the, the organized play kind of seemed to be uh, fading away. The set wasn't that exciting. They hadn't announced the next set yet, right? Um, yeah. And so it was a, a very like, hey, I don't know. Like uh, we thought this was going to be a huge deal <laughs> for a long time, but maybe not. And then, of course, they announced the next set. There's two new houses. They have the seemingly Star Trek-based house and the, the Roman dinosaurs. Uh, but then they also announce uh, the game, the set comes out and it's like, man, this is awesome. Uh, but they're also during that time announcing the ways they're improving the local uh, organized play, which is super, yeah. you know, I think like relaxed. The and, leaderboards are oh, great. Those decks. It's a great, great thing they're doing with the decks. And then they also announced the big, uh, you know, uh, vault warrior, $200,000 prize uh, key forge of the sport series. Um, and so they just gave people a lot of reasons to be excited and a lot of things to be interested in. And uh, it's a very different tone than it was even six months ago. Um, but I still think, you know, this this next six to 12 months is a critical period for Keyforge on, in like a long-term sustainable way. Uh, the other part yeah. of this is that one of the greatest strengths of Keyforge is as a player, and this even happened to me, so the, the second that came out in May, um, and then, uh, like five or six weeks later, the, the last set of destiny came out and we were all planning on going to the world championship in October. So, uh, locally it kind of became my, my number one focus. Um, and because the excitement was kind of waning for Keyforge, I got, I, I went, uh, you know, heavy, heavy on the destiny side and 
the strength of Keyforge is that I was away for five or six months. I came back for Worlds Collide and it didn't feel like I had really missed a beat. Um, and so what that means is that if you were interested in Worlds Collide and you've got the Roman dinosaur thing, but life happens and you go away for a year or two, it's super easy for that person to start playing again. Um, yeah, yeah in, definitely in, isn't the case for a lot of other games. Yeah, uh, in most cases, right? It's like you go away for a year or two and it's like almost this impossible climb that you have to make to get back into the game both because of the cost and also just the learning curve that, that you're missing. So Keyforge has that going for it, right? As long as, as long as they can keep doing interesting, exciting things, uh, I think it's, it can, it can reacquire players that have left way easier than it, almost any game that I've ever yeah. seen. So yeah. that's, that's also really incredible. And I, I think the, you know, speaking to your FLGS question, um, I think Keyforge sealed, um, if it can be established as a, a normal, regular, uh, you know, thing that people do every week or every couple of weeks, um, is a perfect way to keep people interested and excited, and to give a you know a, an event and a format for new players to get involved very consistently, um, and as a store, right? I mean, it, it's pretty great if you build a successful community having those field events. Um, I think it's a big part of what made Magic so successful uh, because it's both a super you know sealed or draft Magic on Friday nights. Yeah, is a super easy format to get involved in, and also uh, a great way for a local store to generate revenue, which it has to do. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges of the local store right now is is selling the product itself is, is becoming less and less valuable as a store, and you're putting yeah. more and more in your emphasis on building a community and hosting events and doing that kind of a thing. Um, that that has to be economically feasible, uh, and so it, for Keyforge, I think it fits right in that pocket of this is a great way for a local store with a healthy community to pretty consistently generate revenue by supporting the game. Oh, definitely. You know, even if they've got four players in uh, playing Keyforge at the minimum, then they're getting $40 just by having having them sat there opening four decks and the players totally. are getting a good experience. The LGS is getting a good experience. But wh- where do you think the responsibility for fostering a sustainable local community lies? Because in some places, I think people feel that they're maybe doing it in spite of their local game store rather than because of it. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest challenges of our industry right now, uh, because yeah. there was a time when the game store was really only responsible for selling you something. And, uh, you know, the tough part for us, I mean, we kind of felt the same. Like I said, I hosted those events out of the back of my uncle's movie rail business. Um, yeah. And like from the day we opened our store, we very much wanted to make sure our players weren't the ones having to build their community. Um, But at the same time, as we've kind of uh, evolved and and grown over the years, the recognition is that we can't, even with our very focused and limited selection of games that we do, which I think is a lot less than most stores, uh, we can't offer, uh, you know, the level of care and support for every game that people in our, you know, our local customers want us to. Um, Yeah. And so it's a, it's a tough line on like who's responsible and like obviously the publisher has an interest in it, the retailer has an interest in it, the players have an interest in it. Um, so ultimately, right, I think it's a it's a combined effort. But I think one of the underlying issues is that you know right now uh, retailers get a discount on products to sell them uh, to customers, and so that inherently obviously incentivizes the transaction. Um, and there's not really much besides ongoing transactions that uh, encourage a store to really build a healthy, sustainable, long-term community. Nice. Um, and so there's there's got to be something that connects those dots, right? Where uh, if a publisher wants healthy, long-term, sustained success with a game and a community, I think they, they have to think about ways to incentivize stores to do just that. Um, because it, it's ultimately just way too easy uh, for a store to put in a whole bunch of work to create new players and to foster community to just have that player. You know, I mean, I've seen um, various sets of Keyforge decks going on Amazon for 30 or 40 bucks for a display of 12 decks. And it's like yeah. uh, local stores, honestly, just, I mean, can't operate uh, and compete on that. So something's got to give. Um, nice. And I, you know, I, I think it's, I talk to people at every perspective, <laughs> publishing and distribution and retail and players. And it's really easy for anyone in any of those layers to kind of point fingers. Um, but ultimately, it, I think it's a group conversation. 
And I think there's a lot of people involved who, from the player all the way up to the publisher, really want to see a game like Keyforge have sustained success for tens of years or decades or you know, centuries. Um, but it's kind of a, an engine that requires a lot of parts. So uh, yeah. who's exactly responsible? I mean, that's a tough, tough question to answer, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not not a simple one. We've spoken a bit about the untimely demise, I suppose you could say, of Star Wars Destiny, and that certainly had some challenges with distribution and uh, fulfillment. Does the existing distribution model of the tabletop industry itself present an existential challenge, do you think, to games like Keyforge? Um I mean, I, I don't think, as we've seen with the past two sets of Keyforge, it, it seems like there's uh, enough product. The first set, obviously, there wasn't enough product. Um, and that, yeah. that can definitely kill the buzz for a game. It can also build quite a bit of hype. Um, and Keyforge mm. is at least better because, like, as long as you have one or two decks, you can play. Um, the same thing happened with Destiny, except for, you know, essentially the people that got the product could play and the people that didn't get any booster boxes couldn't. Um, yeah. so I think it was much more uh, cleanly, it was much easier for, for Keyforge that so has that going for them. Um, but it, after the first set, you know, with Age of Ascension and uh, Worlds Collide, it doesn't seem like it's been too much of a problem, honestly. Um, there's been plenty of no. products, people can get it and it, it's in fine condition. So I do think Keyforge is easier uh, as well to maintain in the current system, honestly. Because, again, once you're out of the first or second set, um, unlike other games where those early expansions are kind of necessary to play, at least play on the mm -hmm. same level, uh, you know, they could never print Call of the Archons again and it would be just fine. Because you don't need Call of the Archons to enjoy the game or play. You just need whatever the latest set is. No, no. And we see that with some of the more longer running LCGs having to reprint certain packs and uh, having those packs available to ensure people can kind of get into the games. You're, you're absolutely right with Keyforge. They just need stock of the most recent set or indeed any set really for people yep. to get in and have a good experience. And that, that's cool too, because like in a lot of games, uh, older releases, especially, you know, the LCG pack gets identified as not being that great. Um, it doesn't sell, but the rest do. And then a, a retailer ends up with just, you know, 12 of that pack on the shelf. Uh, whereas with something like Keyforge, it's like even a Age of Ascension deck a year from now, it's like it has value and you can buy it and play, play a game with it. So the expiration yeah. date isn't, isn't nearly the same either for this game. So it really does have a lot of yeah. unique strengths. Age of Ascension is a really interesting one to me as well, because there were voices out there saying a few months ago, Age of Ascension, no, don't buy it. It's awful. We don't want it because, yeah, maybe the power level is a bit lower than Call of the Archons and indeed Worlds Collide as well. But with the number of different formats in Keyforge, I think that's where it gets really interesting because some of those really power level bad decks are great reversal decks and some of those really tricky age of ascension decks that people didn't really play very much make great adaptive decks and these are some of the formats that we're going to be seeing a lot more of with the introduction of vault warrior so i think that different sets and different decks are probably going to have value across different formats which hopefully is going to help sustain that interest uh, in the longer term yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right. Uh, when they announced the adaptive format, uh, I think that's one of the, the best formats I've seen for any game ever, uh, and particularly for Keyforge, because it just evens the playing field so directly. Um, so yeah. I really do hope they leverage that. And then, you know, at that point, every deck <laughs> is as good as any other deck, literally. Um, and getting Absolutely. good at knowing how many chains to bid is going to be the name of the game. So it's going to be interesting to see how they leverage there's so much about this game that I don't think people have even still fully uh, understood about how they could approach things differently. And the formats they have for it are just one really good example of that. Yeah. And I'm going to echo that with adaptive as well, because what I really like about it is the fact that if someone can only afford one or two decks, let's say, and they've spent a long time investing time in getting to know those decks, getting to understand those nuances with them, they're almost 
better prepared for an adaptive match than someone with hundreds of decks and they've had to pick one because they'll have much more experience with it they'll have much more experience with looking at how does that work with chains on and, and all sorts of those things so it really is a good equalizer and and that's that's a really nice feeling i think absolutely well, one more question for you zach um before we move into the deck discovery Zach, how well do you think FFG currently supports local game stores in succeeding with games like Keyforge? And maybe what changes would you like to see in the future from FFG, but also from other similar publishers? Sure. Uh, I think FFG has done a really great job over the... I mean, because we, we, we started interacting with FFG back in 2010, roughly. Um, and over that time, um, you know, that was before... Uh, Netrunner or X-Wing or Keyforge or Destiny, yeah. the Star Wars license in general, right? And so over that time, they have grown tremendously and they've changed in a lot of ways. And I, I think what we have started to see with Keyforge um, is really what we have hoped to see forever, uh, which is uh, they're basically find, you know, finding ways in their, their own unique way, that's not just copying what someone like Magic has done, to support both the very local and local and worldwide level of play, and also uh, I think the super laid back, casual, however you want to call it, um, you know, just ultimately here to have a good time style of play, uh, all the way up to you know I think game as a sport in the same way that you can toss a football around your front yard or you can watch the NFL happening. Um, I think those are all kind of important elements of of these games. So what they've been doing with Keyforge particularly. They have the big sport level, hundreds of thousands of dollars being given away. Uh, but they also have the chain bound events and they have the leaderboards and they have uh, the, all, the, all that going on. Um, I think it's a really good kind of one-two punch that's necessary because you need both, both yeah. sides of that spectrum for a game to be successful. So to me, uh, the, the number one thing I, I would want and ask for uh, in the context of Keyforge is do whatever is necessary to make it a weekly or a bi-weekly normal occurrence at as many retailers as possible uh, for sealed events to be happening. Because I think that's where the real magic of Keyforge is. I think it's an incredibly welcoming format for new players. And if it was normal in the same way that it's pretty normal for most stores to have Friday Night Magic uh, mm-hmm. or there to be, you know, Thursday Night Keyforge sealed events happening all across the country, um, I think that's the best thing for... Uh, new players, I think it's the best thing for retailers. I think it's great for the game. Um, and so what, whatever support is necessary for that to be encouraged and, and executed, uh, I think is what would be the most beneficial in the long run for something like Keyforge. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zach, for coming on and sharing your perspective on this uh, with with us today. Uh, I certainly recommend that our listeners go and check out Team Covenant's content. It's uh, a, a real treasure trove of passion for Keyforge and similar games like it. So definitely do check that out. And Zach, where can our listeners find you? <laughs> uh, well, you can find me uh, often, oftentimes in the evening, hanging out and playing at Covenant Tulsa, of course. So if you're ever in the area, stop in and feel free to say hello if you see me. Uh, you can also find me, uh, I'm probably most active as an individual on Twitter. Uh, twitter.com slash Zach Barn. Uh, and then beyond that, of course, we have a weekly stream on Team Covenant. It's on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch uh, on Mondays, usually uh, in the afternoon. And then we do a weekly podcast, The Covenant Cast. It's on all popular podcasting platforms, but ultimately it's us discussing uh, whatever's going on in our world and in our industry from the perspective of players and retailers. And even like the episode that went up uh, when we were recording this was with a former head of studio at FFG. So we like to get people on at various events from uh, other perspectives, from publishers and distributors and manufacturers and whatnot. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot of places. And if you want to hear more from me, there's plenty of places to do that. And I'd love to have you check it out. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Zach. Please do let us know what you've liked in this podcast and what you'd maybe like to see more of or less of in future. And you can find our merch on Teespring via the link below where you can purchase one of our glorious hoodies. And I mean glorious. It not just survives the wash, but seems to thrive in it. 
And if you too would like to join the Call of Discovery family, put your weird and wonderful decks into the spotlight and really help us take Call of Discovery to new heights, then you can join our Patreon-only Discord today by clicking the link below to Patreon. You can find us in all the usual places, the socials. We are at Call of Discovery. And you can email us questions at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. If you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please do help them to discover it. Thank you very much.